Hey all you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe, from character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods. We will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about all things Dragon Age. I'm one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm your other host, Shelby or Sheacup. Well, today, Shelby, we are here to talk about a great man, a great elf, the best elf, the greatest, the one, the goat. The goat, everyone's favorite angsty former slave, Fenris. Yeah, we are talking about Fenris today, and I really thought you would be overjoyed. I am overjoyed. <laughs> you do not seem overjoyed. Well, you know, it's hard to be overjoyed. Like, I am excited to talk about Fenris because I love Fenris, but I'm also not excited to talk about Fenris because Fenris is sad. That's fair. That is a very fair point. Um, and so speaking of that, I do feel like we need to give a trigger warning for this episode because we are talking about slavery, racialized violence, sexualized violence, some pretty heavy topics, um, associated with Fenris's backstory. So if that's something that is hard for you to handle, just skip the episode. That's fine. No shame. No shame at all. Um, so I just wanted to give that as just a little, introduction to this episode before we really get started into some of the deep lore let's uh with that let's get into it assume we got some fun facts coming our way yeah so before we get into the fun facts if you've never played dragon age 2 i will tell you a little bit about who fenris is so fenris is an elven warrior and a formerly enslaved elf from tevinter he also has lyrium tattoos that give him special powers in battle but at the cost of his memories of his childhood and his early life Fenris is very distrustful and sometimes often even hostile to mages. He almost always helps or wants to help other former slaves and or currently enslaved people. He is a companion in Dragon Age 2 to Hawk and can be romanced by either male or female Hawk. Yeah, he's the best. If you say so. I know he's your favorite, but I don't I wouldn't say he's my favorite. He's not even my favorite romance in Dragon Age 2. Well, okay, so i he's my favorite character in Dragon Age 2. Is he your favorite character in all of Dragon Age? I think so. I don't even know if he makes top five for me. Oh, he definitely makes top five. He, I do not think he's objectively the best romance in Dragon Age 2. But he's your favorite romance. So he's my favorite. Um... 
Obje- everyone knows objectively the healthiest and best romance in Dragon Age 2 is Isabella. Everyone knows that. Um, I don't think everyone knows that. Well, if you think it's Anders, sure, you can have that opinion. <laughs> that was very diplomatic of you. <laughs> um. Anyways, this is not the Anders episode. We've already done that. So let's talk about Fenris and get into his fun facts. So what about Fenris's name? What's the deal there? So Fenris is actually not his birth name. Fenris is a name that was given to him by his former master, who is Daenerys. Also, if you're new here, we hate Daenerys. I am president of the Daenerys. I am president of the Daenerys hate club. So, um, oh, you want to be president? You are vice president. You can't be president of both the William Miles hate club the uh lord seeker lambert hate club and the denarius hate club you got to give one up fine you can be president i'll be vice there you go i'll be the veep <laughs> anyway so fenris is the name that was given to him by denarius his former magister uh, master fenris roughly translates to little wolf And we do learn throughout Dragon Age 2 and in his side quest that his birth name was Leto. Fenris has also been told that he was originally from the island of Saharan, which is really interesting. It's a very, like, wild, chaotic place. It's also where Iron Bull was stationed for several years. Um, Generally, there's always a war there. It's on the border between... To Venter and Parvalin in the Qunari homeland, right? Well, it's not really on the border. It's an island in the ocean that separates the two. But yeah. So it's a constantly fought over piece of land. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Um, another interesting trivia piece is that Fenris never really yells during combat. Um, and instead he swears in the Tevinter language, which is Tevin. But he, he doesn't really yell. He just swears into Venter. <laughs> Fenris can also conversationally speak the Kunari language, which is known as Kunlat. And he even has a special dialogue, interestingly, with the Arashok, if you take him. Um, and then Talus, of course, says that his pronunciation, though, is terrible. So there's that. Well, Talus, you're terrible. So <laughs> She's not that bad. I mean, she's not my favorite, but... Anyway, Austin is going to get mad at anyone who dares criticize Fenris during this episode. Exactly. Thank you for okay. being on board. All right. Well, I'm going to criticize him. All right. Just kidding. So Fenris also actually has a special affinity for dogs. You can learn this after his conversation with Hawk about their Mabari. And he also adopts a Mabari in the comics. In Act 3 of Dragon Age 2, if neither Isabella or Fenris have been romanced, party banter implies that they've hooked up and may even continue hooking up, and that this relationship was purely physical and it's not emotional in any way. Which, just so you know, even if you do romance Fenris, the best dialogue, which is obviously the Lyrium Breast comment, still happens, so you don't have to not romance Fenris to get the Lyrium breast comment. Can you remind me what the Lyrium breast comment is? That's where 
they're basically talking about his tattoos and Isabella says something about having lyrium breasts and Fenris says, yes, having lyrium breasts would be very helpful. Oh, okay. I don't think I've ever heard that. Well, it happens. All right. So in the Heroes of Dragon Age mobile game, which sadly no longer exists, um, Slave Fenris is a rogue, not a warrior. Hmm. Interesting. Does he still wield a greatsword? I don't know. I would assume not, since he's a rogue. One of the gifts that Hawk gives Fenris is the book A Slave's Life, which is actually the book of Shartan. And then when Fenris receives the book, he tells you that he never learned how to read. And so Hawk can offer to teach Fenris how to read in response. Weirdly, weirdly, though, this option is a flirt option. I feel like a friend should get this option, too. Um, But regardless, you can teach Fenris how to read. Um, And then... I'm I'm conf- I'm confused how saying hey I want to teach you how to read is a like come on pickup line yeah I don't know either um and then the last fun fact that I have is that David Gator wrote Fenris for Dragon Age two we know this he also wrote the Fenris short story which we'll talk about later and interestingly this is the fun fact there was a book about Fenris's life that Gator began in 2015 but when David Gator left Bioware this book was unfortunately scrapped that's sad I know I want the book I wonder though if any of the content that he had worked on for it got turned into the comics probably All right. well let's get into Fenris Let's see if I learn anything. Well, you'll have to update the class if you do. So usually we start with like their general bio and it's pretty long and we can give you all of the information leading up to where we saw this person in the game. Unfortunately, we we can't do that with Fenris because most of what we know about him comes from his role in the games or in the comics. And Honestly, in Dragon Age 2 itself, we don't get that much about Fenris's backstory in early life like we do other characters. Uh, obviously, a big reason for this is because he doesn't remember his own early life um, due to the lyrium tattoos that were given to him. But we do know some about the lyrium tattoos, and we do know that he received the tattoos through a ritual that his former master, Daenerys, put him through. This ritual involved placing Fenris in a sarcophagus, placing a sword on top, and then blasting the sword with fire magic. The sword was an arcane warrior sword, and it, it and supposedly the sarcophagus were destroyed in the ritual. We will get into this a little bit later with the comics because it ties into the Blue Wraith comics. So I don't want to get us off topic on that, but we'll come back to that piece. And then really the last thing we learn about Fenris's early life comes through his um, side quest in Dragon Age 2. So we learn about this because he meets his sister and his sister has unfortunately been sent to hunt Fenris down by her master and of course by um, Fenris's former master Daenerys who are one and the same. She's also still working for him. So this occurs during the side quest alone in Act 3 of DA2. 
Um, like I said, we learned that his name used to be Leto and that his sister Verania is a mage. She talks about how difficult their life has been um, since he left and especially since his mother died. And unfortunately, she does not say how their mother died. She just says that she did. And then lastly, she tells you that Fenris not only wished for the Lyrium tattoos, he competed against other slaves to be the one who got the tattoos. Like it was a competition. And so his reward was the tattoos themselves. And of course, he got he got like a boon, um, one thing that he wished for. Um, and, and the thing that he wished for was to free his mother and his sister from slavery. Life's so sad. It's very sad. Do you have any thoughts about anything that we've discussed up to now? I think I just want to, I'll have a lot to say about Fenris in the end when we talk about why we love and hate him. But I just think that this really sets up Fenris in his life of like, Fenris has never really been able to choose anything for himself other than if this, if we're going to trust this story from uh, Hadriana would be the lyric markings are the only things that he really like chose and competed for himself. And you could argue that he's not really choosing that either. I think he chooses to fight with Hawk. Mm, I'm talking about his life before he meets Hawk. Sure. Absolutely. Well, let's get into some of the source material. So the first thing I want to talk about is the short story that we have about him. Um, We'll go chronologically, but this is um, a short story, again, that was written by David Gator, and the story is very, very short. There are other short stories about other companions and characters, namely Anders, Samson, and Calpurnia, and the others are are significantly, if not double, the amount um, that this one is. So... I think that that's really interesting, but let's get into it. I'll summarize it, tell you all about it. So essentially the story is set after Fenris has run away from Daenerys after he has escaped from slavery into Venter. So he's on the run. We don't know exactly when this story takes place, but I imagine and assume based on context clues that it's set fairly close to the events of Dragon Age 2 when he can be recruited by Hawk. Fenris has grown weary, not only of being hunted, but of participating in the chase. He is deliberately making choices throughout the story that allow the hunters to find him more easily. He is not covering up his lyrium tattoos. He is staying in towns much longer than he would or should. He's not being secretive when he gets there. He's telling people his business. He's doing all kinds of things that would lead any competent spy or bounty hunter to find him easily. So the bulk of the action in the story comes from Taventer slave hunters who have found Fenris, of course, and are looking for him and trying to kill him. Fenris leaves through the window of the room that he is renting in an inn, and then he is faced with the hunters. We get an up-close and personal description of him using the Lyrium tattoo powers. And if you aren't aware, the Lyrium tattoos basically give him the power to turn inanimate, like a spirit or even a ghost. Then he can come back into his full form while he's within a person, which immediately kills that person. 
This power is where the name the Blue Wraith comes from in the comics. Um, back to the short story, he he continues fighting the hunters. He kills several of them and then continues running from the rest. He enters through a window in a woman's home where he steals some bread and then is confronted with the leader of the slave hunters. This leader is a person whom he's fought before and almost killed by the looks of it. But we aren't told this person's name. And then the short story ends with Fenris attacking the rest of the hunters. And that's all we get. It's really interesting to me. Fenris is like, he's tired of being chased. So his solution is to just let them, let him be seen. And then just like fight and kill the hunters. What what specifically about that is interesting to you? I just think it's interesting of it really paints like where Fenris is um, in Dragon Age 2 when you get him. Because I've always thought it's weird that this runaway slave decides, okay, I'm just going to stay in one place and Daenerys can come to me and I'll finish this. Whereas a lot of runaway slaves would just keep moving until they're as far away from Daenerys as you can be. Well, I do think Kirkwall is pretty far from Tevinter, first and foremost. Right. Um, but I do agree with you that you would think they would would just keep running and keep moving and want to, to stay as far away um, as possible. When I first played Dragon Age 2, my assumption was that he was just sick of running and wanted to make a home somewhere. And also he felt confident enough in his powers that he could hold anybody off. Especially once he became ingratiated into Hawk's friend group. But after reading this short story, it kind of changed my opinion on that. And and I now feel like, especially in the short story, it's almost suicidal ideation that he is just done. Like, he doesn't want this to be his life anymore. And so he's like, okay, they can come kill me and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to me when you get to the point of, and we'll talk about this and thing we get in there, when you get to the point of his recruitment mission, he's setting a trap for the slavers and these hunters. Mm-hmm. And he uses Hawk in that trap, in that trap, which is a kind of jump from the what you're talking about, like just let them come kill me, to the okay, I'm gonna lay a trap and if it's probably similar. It's like, well, if I'm going to go out, if I'm going to die to these hunters, I want a shot at Daenerys if that's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, do you have any more thoughts on the short story or are you ready to get into the events of Dragon Age 2? I'm ready to get into the events of Dragon Age 2. So in Dragon Age 2, Fenris and Hawk first meet each other during the bait and switch quest. Hawk was hired by someone named Anso, whom Fenris had used as bait to lure in Daenerys' bounty hunters. Hawk can either choose to help Fenris eliminate the hunters or refuse him. If Hawk refuses, Fenris pays and never joins the party. If Hawk helps get rid of the hunters from the Hightown Mansion, Fenris can then be asked to join the party permanently. 
That's pretty much all we get in Act 1. But then in Act 2, his character starts to get more depth and more development. When Hawk travels outside of the inner city of Kirkwall and brings Fenris along, there is a chance you'll get a surprise encounter and you are attacked by Tevinter's slavers. These slavers were sent by Daenerys's apprentice. Her name is Hadriana. We mentioned her earlier. They are, of course, trying to recapture Fenris. So this begins one of Fenris's side quests. And apparently, if you don't do the quest in a certain amount of time, it will be just automatically completed and Fenris leaves the party permanently. I've never had this happen to me because as soon as I get the quest, I'm like, we're going to take down this lady. Goodbye. So I guess I just don't wait um, the amount of time that it takes to, to make it autocomplete. Um, but when you go after the slavers, as part of the side quest, several things happen. First, you find a slave girl named Orana, and then you finally confront Hadriana. Hadriana, of course, attacks you on sight, and once you've defeated her, she tells Fenris that he's got a sister, and she basically offers information about the sister in exchange for her life. Um, there are some dialogue options, but regardless of what option you choose, Fenris kills her. And then he leaves the party temporarily. You can also find Orana, the slave girl, and you can ask her. There are several options. You can ask her to come to your mansion as a slave. You can ask her as a servant. And I think you can just like set her free. Um, if you obviously, if you keep her as an unpaid servant, as a slave, Fenris is irate. He's also irate if you offer to make her a servant where she gets paid. Um, and then you can be like, Fenris, I'm obviously paying her. And he's like, oh, okay. And that gives you the most approval from him, ironically. And then also you can just leave her, whatever. Um, so anyway, all of this then leads to the Act 3 side quest alone, in which Fenris tells Hawk that he has learned information about his sister and that they've set up a meeting and he wants Hawk to go with him. You meet Verania at none other than the Hanged Man, and she gives Fenris information about his past, and you find out she's a mage and all the things we talked about in the beginning section. And then... Daenerys shows up and it's a setup. You can either turn Fenris in to Daenerys or, or you can fight him, which results in Fenris's permanent freedom. And then you can also help influence Fenris's decision on whether or not to kill his sister, Verania. Um, all of the companions, except for Anders, give you major disapproval points if you turn Fenris back into Daenerys, which I think is rightfully so. Um, how do we feel about this option being allowed at all in the game? I feel like that's something we should discuss. I have two things. I think it's important to note that Bioware is a Canadian company. And so... Bioware is like given to what company they are and the country that they're on. They're tangentially related to like the United States by being on the same continent, but they do not have the same like history of racial enslavement that the United States does. I think that's true, but I mean, there was in it, there was enslavement in Canada, but just 
it's not for one to say like Bioware as a Canadian company doesn't have the direct experience with that. I say like a American company like um like Bethesda. Bethesda is American. But I think at another thing they have to realize that they do have a large amount of an American audience they're going to play this game. And I think that as people, as white people who play this game, we could easily write that decision off and say, oh yeah, that's crappy, but I'm not going to do that because that's obviously just the evil person option. Whereas like, if I was a person of color, particularly a black American playing that game, I think my reaction would be differently. So I think Bioware going forward, like, I hope they never give an option like that again, is basically what that I do think it's terrible. I think it's not something that should be in the game as an option to sell another person back into slavery. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, I just don't know if I agree with it, with their writing of it. Um, like you're you're very generous in your take that this is due to their like status as a Canadian company and they're just like not aware, especially of the history of American slavery. Um but at the same time as a counter argument against that, you know, they have an office in Austin, Texas. That's a southern city. Texas. Like Texas was part of the Civil War. Um so there's that. And also there are lots of Americans that write for Bioware. So I guess I just wouldn't give them a pass um, based on them being headquartered in Canada. I feel like if you are writing something that could go out to this many people, you you have a responsibility to, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I just feel like I just feel like it's not necessarily their Canadianness as much as as it is their whiteness mm-hmm. in making this choice, um, something that was allowed, and I think it it does add to the tragedy of Dragon Age Two, mm-hmm. um, especially of Act Three of Dragon Age Two. You know, pretty much from the moment where you have to start fighting the era shock and and all of that happens, it's just downhill from there. And this is something that definitely adds to that momentum. Um, and I think it's also significant that that this choice is one that most people are like, no, we don't do that. Like on our um mm-hmm. Dragon Age Lorecast survey where we had over a thousand responses, you know, we had exactly three people who did this. Right. Um, I did the math or roughly math because we had about 1100, a little more responses on the survey. And we had three people choose to do that. Yep. That is 0.0027 repeating percent. So less than 1%, less than Way half less. a percent. Is it less than a tenth, one tenth of a percent? It's less, it's less than one one hundredth of a percent. I mean, that's great. That's really great. 
I just have really, ever since I wrote these notes, I've really been reflecting on this choice. And also in the Discord um, server, we were we were discussing the fantasy trope of like allowing horrific choices to be made because it makes the games quote unquote realistic, such as sexual assault, selling people into slavery, these kinds of things. And so I've just been really reflecting on like, what does that mean for players of these games who are not men, who are not white, who are not wealthy. Um, I think it, it kind of, it sits different um, with those of us who do not fit into that kind of like dominant category, if you will. And I think that there's a fine line. I think there's a fine line for like horrific and tragic events happening for story sake and it, and them happening for just the sake of shock value. Gratuitous violence versus violence that's in the plot. I agree with that. And I think that the question has to be made in that, like, does the story suffer if this choice isn't there? I was just going to say, I think with Fenris... There has to there has to be that moment where you have to like there has to be a con there has to be a confrontation with Daenerys and there has to be a risk involved, I think, for like the stakes to feel real. Cause if it's just a matter of, oh, I've got to kill another Tevinter Magister, like, okay, let me as my OP Blood Mage Hawk just, you know, rip you to shred. But I cannot think of a scenario no matter what hawk you're playing, given the events of the rest of the game, where you would make that choice. And it makes sense for the story player of a hawk. If you're a mage hawk and you give Fenris back to Daenerys, you have no bearing on anything you say to the rest of the mage Templar conflict. What do you mean you have no bearing? Like... If you as a mage, someone who has spent probably most of the game fighting against the oppression of the Chantry and specifically the Templars in Kirkwall, and then you give someone back into slavery. Like, I think that's unforgivable hypocrisy. And like your not- opinion is invalid. Like you don't get yeah. to have an opinion because of your betrayal, basically, of your people. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I get that. Um, I don't disagree with that at all. But I think the only people that generally do self-interest back into slavery are people who um, role play as if they hate Fenris because they take Anders' side. I see that. My counter is, is like, there is a big difference between I hate Fenris because he has crappy opinions to mages to let me give you back into eternal slave like slavery. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree. I think it's horrendous and heinous. Um, but you know, in our survey results, 66% of the people who who uh sell Fenris back into slavery are People who romance Anders and people who play as uh, Red Hawk. So that's not not a correlation. 
But let's move on from this topic a little bit um, and talk about Fenris and the Canari. So throughout Dragon Age 2, we learn that Fenris has a significant knowledge base um, about the Canari, including their culture and their practices and even their language. And that's because Daenerys once left him behind on a trip to Saharan after a battle between Taventer and the Canari. He basically left him from for dead. He was injured. And so Fenris gets patched up after the battle by the Fog Warriors. And he ended up spending several months with them. Eventually, Daenerys comes back for Fenris, but the Fog Warriors refuse to give him up and a battle ensues. Daenerys was badly injured. And then he ordered Fenris to kill all of the Fog Warriors who fought him. Fenris does kill the entire company of fog warriors, but he later on in the game expresses that this moment is the one that convinced him to leave. It's the moment that convinced him to run away from Daenerys and pretty much forever. He deeply, deeply regrets killing the people who helped him. Well, and I think it's a point for Fenris of like, not only is this a regret of killing it, but he's realizing how much control Daenerys actually has over him. It's another thing to like give a slave an order and then following it when there is an option for them to be free forever. So in Act 3, at the end of the game, Fenris obviously does not support Anders. He even advocates for killing Anders. So in the final battle, Fenris always immediately joins a hawk who sides with the Templars. If you have 100% friendship or rivalry, he always immediately joins a hawk who sides with the mages. If you have less than 50% approval or rivalry, he will not join you with the mages. If this happens later on, you will encounter him with a group of city guards and you will have to kill Fenris. Yeah, um, there is a third option. If you have more than 50% approval or rivalry and you don't, but you don't quite have 100%, he will leave you, but when you encounter him again, there's an option to convince him to come over to your side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, we haven't discussed Fenris's views on mages and magic. We will get into that at the end. So um, just letting you know, we're not skipping over that. We will get there. But um, let's go to our mid-break, and then we'll come back and talk about the comics and some other stuff. Yeah, let's do it. Ah, Hawk stepped in the poopy. I love you. Want a sandwich? All this for me. No, I didn't get Alexius anything. Send him a fruit basket. Everyone loves those. So welcome to the middle of the show, where we talk about all things that have to do with the podcast, but not the lore of Dragon Age. And so this time, I want to take a point to thank all of our patrons. We are up to 20 patrons now. Thank you so much for all of your support. We greatly appreciate it. A special thank you to um, Genesis, who is one of our first patrons, Divine Tier Kit, our Divine Tier patron, and the one and only Nug King, Louis H., 
all of these people get a shout out on every episode of the show each week. And thank you for your support. And thank you to all of our patrons. If you enjoyed our patron chat, if you enjoy our patron chats and you want to come on those chats, you can sign up on Patreon at the First Enchanter tier for $20, you 20 US dollars a month. And you can come and hang out with us for the next one and future ones on there. Um, if you can't support us financially, we totally get that. Um, we know it's not for everyone or not able for everyone to do, but we would like your reviews on Apple or Spotify. If you leave us five stars or some words, we will read them out on a future episode of the show. And we do have a review to read today. So this came from Apple. It comes from Plague Six, says five stars. This is the best DA podcast out there. I would love to hear more contact from this podcast. Amazing work. Thank you, Plague Six, for your review. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you want to come and hang out with us on Discord, you can do that at the Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. You can find that link in the episode description. Uh, you can also share with us there your Heroes, Hawks, or Herald, which, Shelby, I think we do have one to share today. Yeah, we do. So this one was submitted by Marinoko. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, please correct me. And this was submitted in the Discord. And this is Gilana Maharial. And Gilana is a female Dalish rogue who lost her first love, Tamlin, um, to the Alluvion in the ancient Elven ruins. She really wanted to die after she lost her lover, but Duncan recruited her for the Grey Wardens and gave her a new meaning on life. She recruited everyone on her way and always wanted to look deep inside the soul of her companions. Most of the time, she walked around with the grumpy but kind of cute Sten, with Antivan Crozevran and her new crush, the pure cutie Alistair. Together, they saved the Circle Mages, put Haramont on the throne, made peace between the elves and werewolves, and saved Connor from the demon. Along the way, Alistair and Galana fell in love, and after meeting Alistair's sister, Goldana, Gilana just wanted to maintain his purity, but that was a mistake. While at the land's meet, she had to decide who would be the new king. She chose Alistair as the one and only king because she just didn't trust Anora at all. But after that, her lover Alistair left her because she's an elf and she could not be queen. Heartbroken, Galana went to her room where Morrigan appears and offers her a chance to survive, to sleep with her ex-boyfriend in order to save her life. Galana then yells at Morrigan and kicks her out of her room, and so then she decided to sacrifice her life against the Archdemon in order to save the world. Thank you so much for submitting your um, Hero of Ferelden with us. I cannot really tell this is a uh, immersive role-played playthrough because the you know metagamer in me would have been like oh well if i do this i know my character wouldn't harden alistair but if i harden alistair i can be his mistress and so that will work out but i really appreciate the role-played immersion there yes me too i agree so much all right well that's all i got for the middle of the show so let's get into the rest of the episode You're looking for titsicles. Oh, that's good. Yes, and it's a real nice night for an evening. Um. <laughs> oh, 
you fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. So you might be tempted to think well, that's most of Fenris's story, right? And it ends in Dragon Age 2. Incorrect. That is false. We see Fenris mentioned, discussed in Inquisition, and we have all the comics to talk about. So let's get into Inquisition first. So if Fenris is alive but not romanced, the Inquisitor can ask Varric Tethras about Fenris's fate. Varric states that he has been killing Tevinter slavers and who were preying on refugees. His exact quote is that if you want to find Fenris, just follow the trail of bodies. Yeah. So if if you have a romanced Fenris, um, basically, if you ask Hawk why they're alone, Hawk tells you that Fenris would have died to protect them and they didn't want to give him that chance, which if you've played Inquisition, that's probably a good thing that they didn't bring Fenris along. Um, but then later on if hawk survives the trip to the fade varick says that hawk told him to write to everyone in kirkwall about their whereabouts and that fenris will want to know specifically in dialogue with varick and cassandra it's mentioned that fenris and hawk will later join up again so let's get into the comics um fenris appears in blue wraith and dark fortress comics um which are, are some bigger ones. So in Blue Wraith, it's Blue Wraith is very interesting. So Blue Wraith takes place somewhere between 940 and 941 Dragon, and Fenris and a Dalish associate of his named Shiralis, they start freeing elven slaves who are going to the estate of Magister Ninalus. I think that's how you pronounce it. If not, someone correct me which is near the Arlathan forest. Fenris is now known as the Blue Wraith. Four years later, Fenris is being tracked by Francesca Invidus because she thinks that Fenris has abducted her father. Francesca is with Vea, who is also a character in the Knight Errant comics. So, they all end up talking and Fenris tells Francesca that he did not abduct her father. His former associate Shiralis abducted her father. Fenris refuses their offer to help them to help him track them down. And Fenris says that he no longer has any partners or teammates. Vea responds with, well, you were pretty close to your team in Kirkwall. And Fenris shoots back with the statement that they all went their separate ways in the end and that people only use you as long as they need your power. I know that you have thoughts about this. So why don't we pause here and you can you can complain. This is one of those moments where I just ignore this comic. It's not in my world state. You know, Fenris is not this cold thinking that people only use you or whatever. Um, but it could be, you know, that after Hawk dies, like the bonds of friendship that existed in the Kirkwall band, if Hawk goes to the Fade, would dissolve. And so this could be a world state where Hawk was left in the Fade. That's true. I um, will save my response until the end of this comic. So um, 
Fenris refuses their help. He is adamant. He's like, no, you are not helping me. It also doesn't help that Fenris is like older at this point and Vea and Francesca literally look like they're 17. So he's probably like, you two cannot help me. Goodbye. <laughs> um, so he leaves and goes on to the Magister's estate. Well, as I'm sure you can guess, Vea and Francesca follow Fenris. And they all find out that Cunari have taken over the estate and that the Cunari are interrogating all of the slaves. The slaves reveal that the Magister has gone to retrieve a sarcophagus that infuses elves with lyrium. As I'm sure you can imagine, Fenris is extremely upset at this and attacks the Canari. So Vea and Francesca show up and all three of them, they free the rest of the slaves and they do end up finding Francesca's father, who is, of course, ungrateful and rude and tries to kill them all. And so Francesca kills her father to save Fenris's life. They are still on the hunt for Shiralis and the sarcophagus when the comic ends. Before it ends, though, Fenris bonds with a Mabari named Autumn. And as they are departing, Vea remarks that Fenris ended up joining a group regardless of his insistence that he works alone now. So my comment on the, the, the aloneness of Fenris is that this is a comment he makes. I think everyone goes their own way. Of course, everyone does their own thing. Um, Varric and Aveline are really the only two left in Kirkwall. Anders is, you know, dead or in hiding. Sebastian's back in Starkhaven. Hawk is in hiding. And then at the Inquisition, who the hell knows where Isabella is, you know, Oh, Meryl is in Kirkwall too. But so I think he feels alone. Um, and, for me, I think the comic is one of the themes of the story is that you can do more together um, than you could alone. And I think that I think that Fenris's comment at the beginning is is proven wrong by the end of the comic. I definitely agree with that. And I agree with the whole theme of the comic. And I think another theme of this comic is that like just because Daenerys is dead does not mean Fenris is free from his past and that these things keep coming back and like Magister secrets get passed down and rediscovered. Like, you know, even if Alexius has died to kind of tangent a little bit, like someone else would discover time magic. Like it's just how the Magisterium works and they're craving for power. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to point out that just because Fenris is free doesn't mean he's healed. Yes, definitely. That's going to be a lifelong journey for him. But to move on to the next comic a little bit, the next one is Dark Fortress. And this is the comic that has Tessa for Scythia and Marius as two of the main characters. They are trying to infiltrate a castle while Fenris, Sir Aaron, and the rest of the company wait in a tavern. Um... So they're basically all trying to get into this castle slash fort to stop Shiralis, Fenris's former associate that we just talked about, from going through the same lyrium ritual that Fenris did. Um, while they're waiting, Vea shows up again and she finds someone named Tractus Denarius, who is one of Denarius's sons. And she finds him in an adjacent bar to where they're staying. 
And Fenris actually, like, immediately moves to kill him. But Vea stops him because they need his information first. And so they confront Tractus in his room at the tavern. Tractus actually recognizes Fenris as his father's killer. And then Fenris easily overpowers Tractus. And so basically Fenris tortures him into revealing the secret location that the group is looking for. Fenris, again, moves to kill Tractus, but once again is stopped by Vea, who argues that they don't have the time because Cunari have just invaded the city and that Tractus was only a child when Fenris was last with Daenerys. Fenris decides to leave Tractus tied up in his room for the Cunari to find, and then they leave. They do end up getting to the castle slash fort, but it is too late. Shiralis is emerging from the Lyrium sarcophagus as they arrive. However, Shiralis emerges from the sarcophagus covered in red Lyrium markings instead of regular Lyrium markings. He is then nicknamed the Red Wraith. The whole party then fights and takes down Shiralis. All of this red Lyrium appearing is going to give Varric Tethris an aneurysm. Varric? It's going to give me an aneurysm. Right. It makes me so nervous for what in the hell the rest of Thetis is going to look like in Dragon Age Dreadwolf. Right. Is it all going to be covered in Red Lyrium other than Tevinter? Well, like, there, this is not, like, time and time again, we are seeing Tevinter Magisters coming in near contact with red lyrium, which we know is highly volatile and highly dangerous to everyone who's around it. Because they're arrogant and they think that nothing bad can happen to them. It's so dangerous. Right. Do they not pay attention to the entirety of 940 to 942 dragon? I mean, no, arguably they did not pay attention at all. Why would they have paid attention to anything that happens outside of their precious homeland of Tevinter? I guess that's true. Magisters are dumb. To quote one of our seminary professors, racism makes you stupid. I mean, yes, he was talking about real life racism, um, but I think you can also apply this to racism against elves, for sure. It makes you stupid. It makes you do really dumb things. So I have a few quotes and contributions. First, I want to talk about Just some general quotes. This is mostly about magisters. And then we'll get into some quotes about mages. So I will read the first three and then we can discuss and then we'll talk about the mages. So the first one is um, Anders is questioning the origin of the Darkspawn and whether or not the Chantry's teachings are accurate. And Fenris responds with this. Is it so hard for you to believe the magisters would be arrogant enough to challenge the maker? You need to meet more magisters, end quote. And then he says later on, am I supposed to forgive no matter how many times they hunt me down? Am I supposed to forget all the things they've done to me? And then lastly, about evil magisters, Fenris says this. I have no doubt that some magisters are good and noble, strong enough to resist temptation. But how many temptations do you wish to offer a man before he will give in? What are your thoughts? My first thought is like, this is my problem with like Anders. And I think that we as the Dragon Age fandom need to 
kind of come to terms with a little bit. And that's we love to poke holes in the Chantry and criticize the Chantry. But I think that we ignore the overwhelming evidence from the games and from the lore that the Chantry, at least in a little bit, contains a little bit of truth to it in regards to the Magisters, in regards to, you know, trying to deny magic mages from ruling over the entire world. Um, and I'll talk about this when we get to like why I love Fenris. And that's one of the reasons I do love Fenris is that he provides that voice. Um, and I think that you, in a lot of these quotes, you really see like the pain and the hurt that Fenris struggles with internally. Like, I don't think Fenris wants to be as angry as he is. I don't think he wants to hold on to all the anger that he has. But it's the same kind of thing as like, am I supposed to forget all the things they've done to me? Like horrible, terrible things have been done to Fenris. He doesn't know how to not be angry. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's hard. I think it's hard to separate like his hatred for Tevinter and his views from mages because I think they're tied up because he was owned by a mage Tevinter person. Like, mm -hmm. you know, those are, those are tied together for Fenris. And I think over the course of Dragon Age 2, he, he is able to separate that much more. And I think that you can see that in this quote to Anders of, well, you need you need to meet more to venter magisters then because you don't really know what they're like. Um, and I think he's right. We don't, the only real to venter magisters that we've met are Corypheus, Dorian, and Alexius, like in the games. And Dorian's opinions are not the dominant views of Magisters and Tevinter. So it comes to a point of in Fenris's viewpoint and his life, he has never seen a, a person turn down power. No matter the consequences. And so in his view, it is better to remove the temptation of power than to trust in the goodness of a person. Right. Absolutely true. Um, and I think there are so many things that Fenris hasn't seen. Like Fenris has never really had a person love him before Hawk. Fenris didn't know how to read before Hawk. Fenris never had freedom until Hawk kills Daenerys. So there are, there are so many things that, Fenris never got to experience. And I think that that limits his perspective on the entire world, not just magic. Um, but I would, I would dare anyone who's listening to this podcast and still thinks that Fenris is unfair in, in his views to go through what he's gone and then come back to me and tell me that you're not mad at the people that put you through that. Hmm. You can't argue that. And I think this is kind of a good segue to talk about his view on mages. Because like so many things in Bioware games, and this is what anyone who's coming into Dragon Age Dreadwolf 
like dive into the companions they present us, dive into the NPCs to they present us, because there's a lot that you might miss by just taking what they say at face value. Like, and the biggest thing, and I think this is a good segue for as you are mages, the biggest turnoff for people that I've ever heard is that if you are not a mage hawk and you have Bethany with you, he refers to Bethany as an it. Which I, as a Fenris stand, as a Fenris lover, will say here on this podcast that is a crappy thing to do. And is a huge flaw of Fenris. But if you leave it there and you never talk to Fenris and you never talk, you don't get to see a growth that will happen in that get into Fenris's backstory. You don't get to one of the best moments with Fenris, especially in regards to Bethany, which I believe is one of the quotes that Shelby is going to bring to us. Yeah, so I have three quotes again. Um, and these are chronological, I think, in how I have them ordered. So like at the beginning of the game, when you when Hawk brings Bethany along to assist in the quest bait and switch, which is the first quest in Act One with Fenris, Fenris tells Hawk to be careful of Bethany. And this is what he says. You harbor a viper in your midst. It will turn on you and strike when you least expect. That is in its nature. Um, so he is referring to Bethany as an it, but he's also like using a metaphor. So to me, it's it's not as bad as it's not like it's to me. I think people overreact to this personally because it's not like he's sitting there saying, Bethany, you're an it. I'm not going to refer to you as a person. Like he's using a metaphor in the quote. So, and I don't, to be fair, I don't remember if there are other places where he refers to Bethany as an it, or if it's just this one instance. Um, But to me, I think this is a little overblown in my personal opinion, once you understand his backstory, especially. But the interesting part to me are the next two quotes, because they kind of show you that Fenris is not just anti-magic. He's not just, I hate all mages and I hate magic. And even he is beginning to grow and beginning to be challenged by his relationships with the people in the party. So the next one that I have is him talking about um basically being wary of mages and magic. And so he says, I'm not blind. I know that magic has its uses and there are undoubtedly mages with good intentions, but even the best intentioned mage can fall prey to temptation. And then their power is a curse to inflict upon others. So here he's admitting like, yeah, you're right. Magic isn't all bad and mages aren't all bad either, but that temptation is always there. And then the last The last one that you have already referenced is a conversation that Anders, Fenris, and Hawk have. And Anders is arguing and he says, well, not all mages are weak. And Fenris says, true. Bethany, for instance, was not weak. So we have major growth of Fenris where he is referring to Bethany as an it and saying, beware, you have a snake in your midst. And then by the end of the game, by act three, he's like, Bethany was never weak. Bethany would never fall temptation to this. Bethany would never succumb to what you have succumbed to, to Anders. Right. So I think that that is massive growth personally. Um, And I also think in reflecting upon this, 
I think that Fenris's stance is not that far off from many other characters' stances, such as such as Vivian, such as Cullen, such as even Varric is sometimes wary of magic and mages. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think he's anti-mage and anti-magic. He is simply arguing that you have power and you can fall temptation to it and you need to be careful and we should all be wary. And I think this really sums up into a point of another quote that I hear Fenris critics point to, which is after Hawk's mom dies and Fenris comes to the manor. And the quote that he says is, have you ever known anyone's life be made better by magic? And I think that for Fenris and his views, what you have to understand is that Fenris's answer to that question is no undoubtedly undisputedly his answer is no and if you have never had a positive experience with a powerful force that has the power to enslave you and to really unmake the world you're not gonna have a powerful or a nice view of people who use it carelessly which i think as much as i think anders is troubled and as much as i think that anders has a point, he uses magic carelessly. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think he uses magic carelessly. I think Andrews is very intentional in what he's done. I think he is very careful. I think he's made some reckless choices, perhaps with, with justice, but I think his choices in Dragon Age 2 are, are very carefully intentioned. And if you want more kind of discussion on Anders background and his intentions you can go listen to our anders episode i don't want to we've kind of sidebar we've gotten sidetracked a lot in this episode so look at me i'm defending anders um multiple times on this show and to end the end that quote i people also point to this as like fenris being rude to anders but i view it in a different light and so i just want to bring it there at the end of the Bethany conversation, Anders says, he basically makes an argument to Fenris that says, I'm weak. Fenris basically says, you can you can keep saying that, but you're convincing no one, even yourself. I think people point to that as like Fenris being rude to Anders and saying he's weak and thing. But I actually view it at a point in this. This is Fenris's own way of reaching out to Anders to say like, this is a problem. You're going to lose yourself. You're going to lose yourself to the temptation and you're going to become something that you despise. That's how I kind of view it there, which is in its own way, a moment of compassion of of Fenris trying to save whatever he views as the person that is inside Anders. I definitely see how you got there. Um, I don't think I interpret it the same way. I think it. I interpret it not as anger as Fenris being angry with Anders. I interpret it as... Fenris not caring about Anders because Fenris views Anders as a liability. He views him as, as a ticking time bomb, which he is. Um, If you've played Dragon Age 2, you know that. And 
so I think Fenris is just done with Anders. Like he doesn't care about offending him. He doesn't care about being his friend. He doesn't care about preserving any semblance of a relationship, especially, especially after what happens when Daenerys is in Kirkwall. So I think Fenris just doesn't care what Anders thinks. That's a fair interpretation. I think I'd have to go back and listen to the quote again, and hear the tone and the delivery to kind yeah. of make a decision. Sure. Well, let's get into where are they now, and then we can talk about why we love or hate Fenris. There are so many different things that can happen to Fenris. Um, so many. So if he's you, he can never be recruited, like you could just not recruit him. And if that happens, we don't really know where he is. He can be a slave and to venture with Daenerys if you sell him back. In that case, his memory is wiped and he has no recollection of Hawk and what happened in Kirkwall. He can also be killed by Hawk. He can stay with a romanced Hawk and he can leave after helping Hawk. So those are all the things that can happen in game. Regardless of that, we don't know how um, the comics fit into canon really. Um, but regardless, he does become the Blue Wraith and um, appears in multiple comics. So do you want to go first on why you love or hate this character? I can go first. So I really do love Fenris. I think I said this when we were on the Two Girls, One Ship um, episode following up and rounding out um, Dragon Age 2. But I feel like if I had played Dragon Age 2 when I was 16, I would have adored Fenris back when I was in my emo era. Like I would have simped so hard for this man. Um and I do, I do still love Fenris. Like, don't get me wrong. He's not my go-to romance, that's for sure. Um, but I think that Fenris, I think that Fenris provides a very important viewpoint um, and a very important, like, alternate side to why wouldn't you, you know, side with the mages? Mm-hmm. Um, because he's right. Magic is a risk, and there is always a temptation there. Um, And I think that he is a person who shows just by existing with his story, he shows that the side effects of what happens when we allow mages to do whatever they want are really scary. And he shows you like the consequences of power, basically, and not just mages with power, but anyone with power. And so um I think that he is a very important character in the Dragon Age universe. I want him to be happy. I just want him to like not have to fight and live a happy life and have a garden where he can read all the books he wants and and just like be happy and not um have to fight and and live and die in wars and and all this stuff. Um so I very much want him to just be able to retire like Cullen. I'm not sure we'll ever get that in the games, but I I want Fenris to be happy because I feel like he deserves that after everything he's been through. Yeah, um, I agree with all of that. And especially the point of Fenris are, are providing an alternate viewpoint because I think without him, there is no it's really hard to justify siding with the Templars at the end of Dragon Age 2. And the end of that, no one really wins. That, like, the circle is destroyed, really, no matter what, and Kirkwall is thrown into chaos. Like, no one, the, it doesn't accomplish anything 
But I think one of the other things that I really love about Fenris is just his expansion of the world for us. And for me, Fenris tells me more about what Taventer is really like more than Dorian ever could. Fenris provides the voice of the oppressed. And I think that while I don't think Bioware handles everything perfectly, I think including a escaped slave and a former enslaved person was a, you know, a, a risk that they took in that time of, you know, really saying like, okay, this is probably going to ruffle some people's feathers, especially about mages, but we think it's an important thing to have in there. And so to do that, um, especially given like our own data of how many people played a mage in Dragon Age Origins, that is a mm-hmm. thing that they've tried. And I just really like Fenris's, um, I mean, he has a great voice actor. I like his writing. I like his story. I like I like Fenris as a friend and I like Fenris as a romance. Um, and there's not a lot of characters that I can say that about way I normally like them better as one way or the other but Fenris I could really go either way with him you know I um agree with that entirely and I think that it's interesting that you bring up Dorian because Dorian and Fenris are the only two characters from Tevinter that we've had as companions and I feel like I feel like it's a tale of two Tevinters really um because they have existed even though they've both had tragedies in their life and very sad stories they have existed and lived in two very different worlds that neither of the other, like neither of them could understand the other. And I think this really comes to echo that of different things. Uh, on our episode on Tevinter Slavery, you know, we posed the kind of hypothetical question of like, can Tevinter be redeemed? Is Tevinter worth preserving in its state that it is? And Dorian and Fenris would have very different answers to that question. Well, yeah, exactly. I think Dorian has already answered that question for us. Um, He thinks it can. He wants to work to to make it better and and is um, by his creation of the Lucerne. And I think Fenris or I think, yeah, I think Fenris would probably say, no, it's not. I want to burn it all down. Mm -hmm. And to be frank, I, I would side with Fenris in this. I would agree with you. And I would say there's too much ingrained into the culture for it to be slow changed and like to move on. It would have to be taken down and rebuilt from the ashes. And maybe that will be the plot of Dragon Age Dreadwolf. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> it'll be very satisfying to me if I can tear down a lot of the oppressive pillars of Thetis. We'll see. Well, um, do you have any other final thoughts on Fenris? I don't think so. All right. Well, then let's wrap it up. All right. And a special shout out to our Nung King patron, Louis H., who gets a special shout out at the end of every episode. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you all for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. 
If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. I'm your host, Maverick Stone. It's me, Gingerino42. I'm Roman. Hey, this is Sassy Lady. And I'm Jaxus. And we, we are the Fallout Roundtable. Join us as we explore various topics from the Fallout universe brought from multiple perspectives. We can be found on your favorite podcatchers from Spotify to iTunes. Or follow us on Twitter at FalloutRTB or our email FalloutRTB at gmail.com. Be sure to rate, follow, and subscribe. Thank you.